How many of you, whenever you were younger, would watch The Addams Family? All right. Okay, gotcha. All right, a few of you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yes, the snapping fingers. It will always catch you. And that weird little creepy hand thing crawling along. Now, the thing with The Addams Family was that I was always a little bit confused about them. See, The Addams Family always seemed to have this sense of loving suffering. They always wanted things that somehow we would be like, oh, no, I wouldn't want to do that. They would take flowers and they'd cut the petals and the head off of them to somehow make them prettier. Uh, whenever they were saying they were having a, a depressive day, they'd say, oh, good, so glad to hear it. Or oftentimes you'd see them wearing the, the darkest of clothing and everything, and you're like, man, but it's a bright, sunny day. What's going on? And the thing is, is that this group of people, and I have to say a group because there were others that would come and be a part of it, but the thing is is that they oftentimes would express the joy of suffering. And I always thought that that was kind of strange. I figured that there was like a psychological confusion among them. I was always waiting to watch an episode where they finally explain what happened that caused them to be so strange and all. And, and that's, of course, for a little OCD seven-year-old who doesn't get that. Sometimes things are just funny, and that's okay. But with it, though, was I also kind of thought, well, I understood the Munsters a little bit better. Okay, wait, how many of you saw the Munsters? Okay, uh, the same. Okay, there. Um, but with it was the Munsters always made more sense to me because, well, they're monsters. So, of course, they're going to be a little bit different. That's okay. But the Adams Family, I never quite understood. How does anyone go about enjoying suffering? And that is a big piece of what we see in Philippians, especially as we look at the first chapter this morning. And, and I want to give just a little bit of, of context. I, I want to read the first two verses here. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. The thing is, is that Philippi was not where Paul was originally wanting to go. The fact that he has a relationship with them is a complete accident in his world. The thing is, is that Philippi was kind of a strange place. Okay? It had originally been this kind of like out of the way, nobody really knew it, more of an agricultural place until Rome had come in and taken over the place and changed it up so that it was now one of the major places of trade and thoroughfare and a major uh, place that people would travel through for the Roman Empire. The thing is, is that they had a sense of being now Roman. So whatever they thought, whatever they believed was based on what Rome had told them they were supposed to think and believe because the previous community was no longer the case. Now it was all these people coming from all over throughout the Roman Empire. So for Paul to be there and to be expressing to them a new way to believe, that was going to be difficult. That was going to be an uphill battle. The thing is, is that Paul was not originally planning to be there. He had other plans for where he wanted to go or where he wanted to travel. And I have to say is that I understand what Paul is thinking and feeling. I have absolutely no plans on being back in Houston ever again, personally. I had left some years ago. The place is covered in concrete, 
and frankly, I'm not really good enough to be a country boy like my friends were, and I had no idea how to fit in. And nine years back, I came back and became a teacher here and thought, I'll just do this for two or three years, and then I'll go back to, I'll be traveling again, just like I was before. And then for some reason, I actually liked people here, and oh my word. And then four years ago, it was like, oh, hey, where am I going to go and, and worship or maybe help out at different churches? And then Mark Mayfield is over there like, well, we need somebody to come and preach over here. And I'm like, I don't know. I guess I could come and do this. Why not? So, but but I've, got, I've got a job. Let me go. I'll, I'll come every other week. And then COVID happened. And then all of you were pretty nice. How dare you? You terrible people. Um, and that's the thing, though, is four years later, end up finding yourself with a community that you're not expecting to be with in the first place. And the thing is, is that Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit stopped him from where he originally wanted to go. I don't know what that means. He doesn't go into it. He doesn't say. The thing is that sometimes the Holy Spirit is doing something very clear, like there's, you know, a giant angel in the middle of the road, or you're struck blind and you can't do anything but go and find th th this disciple that you're supposed to ask for help. But other times the Holy Spirit is still and, and subtle. And that no matter what you try to do, you can't quite shake it. Or sometimes the circumstances that you face don't allow you to go the direction you were going to go in. Any of these might be the Holy Spirit working, speaking, moving in your life. Which, by the way, quick plug, the Experiencing God study happens after first service where we're learning how to listen more clearly to the Holy Spirit. Be more than happy to have you all over there. There you go. With it, though, is oftentimes what we see is that then we go where we feel the Spirit is leading or moving, or hopefully we do, but then Paul doesn't end up discovering what he's expecting to discover. There was a man in a dream telling him that he needed to travel here, and yet when he gets to Philippi, does he find some guy who's going to take him over to the nearest synagogue and say, now let's go convert the Jewish people of this community? No. What ends up happening is that they don't have a synagogue. Why? Because they don't have 10 Jewish adult males, which is required to create, to set up a synagogue. So what ends up happening? Paul goes and converts the women of the community, which again is demonstrating that any church who has any hope of survival always has to be based off of the women. It just is what it is. Lydia and all of them, and let's just be honest, if it were not for the women in our congregations, where in the world would we be? Just saying. But the thing is, is that in this experience, is that Paul ends up discovering that God is doing things that he wasn't even expecting in the first place. Now, I, I want to read through 3 through 11 real quick. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, that was just up through verse 6. 
But why are these partnerships important? You see, Epaphroditus had come to, to, to visit Paul while he's in prison. And the thing is, is that, well, on the one hand, it's, it's, it's nice. I mean, Epaphroditus, I'm, I'm sure, you know, brought things to be helpful. I mean, it wasn't a cake with, you know, a hacksaw in the middle of it or anything like that. But, you know, I mean, um, whatever it was that he was brought, chances are there was probably some money because a lot of times you can't actually get taken care of unless you have money to pay people off. But with this, though, is that it was more than just, I like what you brought me. Instead, it was knowing he wasn't alone. See, that's the thing is that oftentimes whenever we discover that we are facing something alone, not only does it make it harder and lonelier, but then oftentimes it's easier for us to make poor decisions or just to do what we can to try to get out of the suffering we're going through. And the thing is, is that the church oftentimes, we take that for granted. Uh, there may be some of you watching online, maybe you've been thinking, hey, you know what? Here's this guy. He's got nice hair. I'll listen to him preach. That sounds great. But the truth is, is that without being here as a part of the community, we end up missing out on what it is that community is meant to do for us with us. And that's something that Paul realized in what he was going through. And, and that's not to say that he had no ability to go back and fall back on the spirit at all. But man, it is so much harder without other people doing life alongside you. Especially those who also have the hope of Christ. He says in verses 7 through 11, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve of what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You see, that's the thing is that relationships are meant to strengthen heart and soul. But notice what is in here is that it's speaking that these relationships are connecting one another with the affection of Christ Jesus and to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. But what do we oftentimes do with our friends? We oftentimes spend those friendships just figuring out who we're all supposed to despise together. How many conversations are we having with the people around us that are just based on who do we all not like? Who are we all a little bit annoyed with? Yeah, can you believe that? Yeah, oh my word, they're just terrible. Can you believe that show that was going on? Oh, it's the worst. I just can't believe it. Can you believe what we end up having to deal with? with the, oh, yeah, oh, terrible person. I just wish they'd go away. How many of our relationships are not built about finding joy or building one another up, but rather are about just figuring out who to complain about. And oftentimes the people who find the most joy are the ones that people find the most annoying. Ugh, why do I want to deal with that person? They're happy all the time. Ugh, 
I don't want to deal with that today. I was finding the difference oftentimes in taking the same circumstance and being able to show what was positive rather than what was more of a negative. The, the thing is, is that we there were like different hiccups that happened this morning before worship. And one of the things that's hard is automatically we want to figure out who messed up and who did something wrong. But the thing is, is that also at the same time, we know that there have been actually a lot of positive things. There's just a few growing pains that happen. And no, not the Kirk Cameron kind. But with that, though, is we also realize that there's a way of taking what is in front of us and being able to see what God might be doing through it. There was a, a time I was sitting uh, uh, preparing for uh, a lesson um, when I was teaching uh, math and science. And with it, I was at a Starbucks and I just thought to myself, you know what? I'm always thinking that I, you know, if there's a you know, cute girl down the way, man, I, you know, why don't I ever talk to her? And I was like, well, why don't I? So I got up and I walked over to this cute girl that was in Starbucks. And I was like, hey, how's it going? I was, just saw you over here, thought you were cute, and thought I'd come up and say hello. <laughs> yes, yes I did. Did not get her number whatsoever. But she was nice about it, and I also realized, though, that I was actually willing to have the courage to do it. So then later on when I don't do it, I'm realizing, well, maybe it's just because I actually don't want to at this moment in time, not because I'm a coward. But what was good, though, was that instead of the friends that I had focusing on the fact that, man, she shot you down. No, it was sort of like, dude, I can't believe you were actually going up to go and say hello. And realizing that that ends up being that Paul needs people who don't spend their time saying, hey, man, you really got yourself into trouble getting thrown in prison here. But he needs the people that are saying, we know that God has plans for what you're going through now. And that's the thing about what we see is as he's expressing in 12 through 19 is that the gospel can oftentimes bring struggle. But that the joy that's within it is still shining through. You see, Paul was imprisoned for preaching the gospel. Now, here's the thing about this. You're sitting there in prison and you're like, oh, yeah, I was telling people that there is good news and hope and new life everlasting. It's like that got you thrown in prison. But the fact that that is truly the only thing that got him in prison. How amazing does that allow you to start up a conversation with the very guards that are around you? And that's the thing about this, is that it's a strange situation. But the thing is, is that everything about us as Christians should be strange. We should be people who don't make sense. We should be the ones who stand up for the weak. We should be the ones who are able to say, I am going to be truthful even when it hurts. We should be the ones that are saying, I'm going to find purpose and meaning because I know that it is there. I'm not just an accident in the universe. We should be the very ones who are giving excuse to give the gospel because everything about us is strange. And yet, with this, sometimes we hold back. 
There was a, 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 a land trust that I was working on with the county. It's a, it's a way of, uh, of being able to purchase a property, but you don't buy the land. The land goes into a trust that's held by the entire community, and the house itself you own and you build equity with. So not only is it cheaper to buy, but your property taxes are lower, and here's the thing about it is that most people who do end up buying into this seven years later end up moving into a regular market rate house. And then that house, because it's on the trust, goes to another family that needs an affordable house. But you've actually built equity so you can afford something else. And the thing is, is that I spent over a year of my life working to build this thing and then even trained four people that had to come after me to try to work it. And yet finding out that I wasn't actually being given credit for it later down the line. And that's the hard part about this, is that Paul knows that there are going to be the people who are selfish, the people who have their own ambitions, the people who are using Christ and the gospel to further themselves. We know it. We've seen it. We know those who are around us that they take the name of Jesus, but somehow that they're getting a little something extra because of it. Or even that they like to make sure that they put that somehow in their sign because they know that all the Christian people are looking for the Christians and they know that they can get a few more customers that way. But what does Paul end up doing? He says, even so, the gospel is still getting proclaimed. See, that's the thing is, Whatever it may be with this land trust, I know that there are still people getting into it. It's still working. And that's the truth about it, is that even the people that might be not so great, making it work can still be for the joy and the benefit of it all. And that points us to what the ultimate goal of the gospel is that truly matters. In verses 20 through 26, Paul says that sometimes I want to be with Christ, and I'm done with this. See, the thing is, is that he really is talking about, do I want to be dead and be with Jesus and be done with all of this? He's in prison. He's not too happy at this moment in time. Or does he want to live and keep doing what he's meant to do? And that's the thing, is that oftentimes we can find ourselves in that same place. The struggle of knowing what it is to live as Christ has called us to live, to struggle, to push through, it is hard. And sometimes we wish that we could just be done with it. And as we've seen with the numbers of people in church, there are a lot of people that feel the same way as well. But the question is, is why are we here in the first place? Are you here because you enjoy waking up at seven something in the morning or earlier and coming up and trying to make sure that you're awake throughout the entire thing? Oh, man, if it, you know, if I'm not preaching, then, man, I have a hard time. Oh, man, if I fall asleep up here, though, well, don't blame me. But blame the preacher. Um, but with it, though, is being here at church, if all we're doing is just making sure that we go through our motions 
and look good, and we want others to think, oh, well, those are some good people over there. You're going to get burned out. Because that's not the point of this. The point is for us to build each other, to grow, to wrestle with things together. See, that's why we talk about getting you involved in small groups and studies and fellowship and service opportunities, because it's in those that you actually get to spend more real time with each other. Because right now, you're sitting here listening to one guy. The church, though, what we see from Paul is not something easy, but it's a fight that's worth it to you. Bless you. See, oftentimes I always wonder whenever friends would talk about having to take their kids to soccer and baseball and all the other million things. And it's like, man, you sound so miserable. But then also realizing that at the end of the day, they know that they've built up their children. Because sometimes suffering can be truly worth it. And that brings us to the conclusion of our chapter. That. Sometimes we have to realize that suffering for what is right is worth the pain. But especially suffering for right is worth the pain for the gospel. See, the truth is, is that we are going to suffer in the world around us. Plenty of reasons why. Uh, uh, oftentimes we end up uh, going out and, you know, somebody who will remain nameless standing in front of you in a giant white cloak may or may not have eaten way too much pizza at his sister's birthday party and gotten a double helping of cake and probably was suffering for that a little bit later and probably now has to go and lose three pounds. Or the times whenever we realize that we're being lazy and then later down the week we, don't, we wonder, well, why in the world is my back hurting? Why in the world am I, do I have a headache? Why do I have no energy even though we skipped going to the gym three times that week? Or the times whenever we are going through so much insomnia because we keep second-guessing all the things that we did, wondering, was that a good idea? Was I really meant to say this to that person or to do this with this purpose? But the truth is, is that we are going to struggle. But what Paul is getting at is that it is a good thing. And not in an Adams family sort of way where they're just, well, whatever, you know, seems like a bad thing, we're going to act like it's a good thing just to get some laughs. Instead is to realize if this world is broken, as we know it is, if you're not struggling with it, then what does that mean about you? And that's the thing with Paul is that he is in prison for doing exactly what no, he knows he is meant to do. And that in itself is the joy. Is to know that nothing in this world can stop us from doing what matters. From standing for what matters. From preaching what matters. For being able to realize that just because something's easy doesn't mean that that's what we're going to do. Just because something makes sense to everybody else doesn't mean we are not going to be told who we are by the very world that keeps making it worse. Even to the point of suffering and even someday to the point of death. So the truth is, is that when we come around 
we realize that in a sense the Adams family kind of had it right. See, the truth is, is that there is joy in the suffering. Not because we want to stand up in here and say, boy, if only I could somehow be miserable. But rather to realize that each time that the conflict we face is because we're doing exactly what God is calling us to do. Then if we realize we're struggling, then that means that we're actually hitting the world where it truly feels it. Which means you're actually doing something. So in a world where we know that suffering is real, and it's going to happen one way or another, isn't it great when we know that what we have suffered for is something that's actually worth it? Thanks be to God.